0: sometimes we hide behind these shields and then that's where our toxic masculinity pours out you know um but when i think when you come to the point it's like hey what you said was i don't care how much money you have that's just offensive you know or i don't care how strong you are that's just not that's just not a vibe to be moving like that you know what i mean um those are some like deep-rooted questions you got to ask yourself, you know, for real, for real. Like, am I, am I acting this way because I feel like there's no consequences to my behavior? Am I acting this way because I'm protecting my confidence? My confidence comes from these places. What do I got to do to kind of change that story a little bit? How can I be uh, more confident in who I am as a man without some of these, you know, sometimes seen as toxic traits of ours?
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a powerful man in the modern era. I'm your co-host CK. And it's your boy A Squared, Anwar Ahmed. And today we're going to be talking about the topic I know you've all been waiting for, the concept of toxic masculinity. A very widely known concept, but before we get into any details and where we stand with that subject, you know what time it is.
0: Mood check. Hey, yo, Coach Kyle. How you doing today, man? How you What's feeling? Up, How you doing? Nice to see your
1: face. I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been it's been a good week. Uh, we're recording this in January, just the finishing up in January, and it uh, was a powerful first month of the year. And so it was uh, motivating in a way to take on the year in a really headstrong way and make some moves early. And I don't love the concept of, you know, having the new year in the sense, I feel like it's just, it's another day, but it does add a little bit of fuel to the fire, which is kind of nice and moves the, moves the body a little faster. So I feel great about today. I'm excited to talk about this topic and I'm just excited. I feel good. How are you doing, baby?
0: I'm quite nervous, to be honest, because I just know that this topic could be taken so many different ways. Um, You know, it's a big topic. uh, So, you know, we want to kind of do our due diligence to kind of talk about it, hopefully from our own personal experiences and kind of touch on certain things. But um, overall, how I'm doing health wise, I'm great. I feel healthy. I feel good. Um, Obviously, we've been in this pandemic quite some time now, so we're very accustomed to the lifestyle. Um, I think I hit a brick wall maybe, you know, a week ago, though, where I'm starting to want to hang out with my friends again. And I I think it's, I'm a little bit over it, but I'm just trying to try to stay a little bit mentally tough in a couple more months, hopefully. And the the bigger picture is more important than my individual kind of need for friendship. And, uh, you know, so we'll see. I
1: definitely resonate with that heart. I think I felt that this week as well. Mm-hmm. It was just those moments where you realize that it's been a really long time. <laughs> and I think a lot of us were hopeful for it to be over sooner than it was not even over, just allowed to be in spaces with other people. And just seems like every opportunity that they're, could be hope for that is really quickly diminished. So yeah. it gets challenging every time that's taken away, for sure.
0: Or well, I mean, we're coming—we're almost coming on to like a one-year anniversary. Like, who would have thought we wanted an anniversary of a pandemic? Seriously, you know. So like, once it, once you see March again, you're kind of like, wow, it's been a whole year. Um, <laughs> and I think the 2020, you know, one turning may have mentally played with a couple of people's minds because you think that something is changing, and then to be w- woken up in the exact same predicament still. And may, may, that's probably why I was feeling like, oh, man, come on, really? We're still doing this? Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to turn a corner, but here we are. But luckily, we have all the habits in place from how long we've been in this for. So all you got to do is get back to what you were doing before and just kind of keep it moving forward. So Right. Um, But hopefully some of the, you know, examples that we give in this episode resonate with people and hopefully we can kind of shift some perspective and debunk some things, um, maybe change the language about how we kind of speak about certain things. I want the one thing I want to be very prominent in this episode is that like we want to move to a place where it's progressive. You know, we're just trying to we don't want to sit in a very dwelling and attacking kind of, you know, labeling headspace. We want to start moving towards. So if you feel like we're maybe brushing something off to kind of move to a different direction, it's just that's the motivation behind this episode is how can we take the language that we're using now, empower it a little bit better to kind of move the needle forward to ultimately reach those goals of um, healthy expressions of masculinity. So.
1: Absolutely. And to preface before we even get into it, he's touching on a good point. We're definitely not experts in the realm of, you know, sociocultural studies or gender studies. We're working off of our own experiences and doing our best to understand it from our own unique perspective, along with any knowledge or wisdom we can find
0: from the internet or from people that we talk about or from any studies that we've come across. So, And in the future, we will bring guests and stuff to kind of touch experts and guests. And we just, this is kind of our original, just let's have a conversation about it raw. And then let's bring in the, you know, hopefully some people who are a lot more educated in the topic and hopefully we can have some deeper and uh, more meaningful conversations in the future about the topic. So this won't be the first and won't be the last.
1: Absolutely. This is definitely the introduction to toxic masculinity. So with that being said, let's get into it. So one of the things that we realized through the process is that there are constantly changing perspectives towards the concept of toxic masculinity. And so I actually went as far as figuring out where did the term even come from? And I know for me, the original thought, whenever I heard the concept of toxic masculinity, it was, my assumption was that it was created by women that made the most sense to me because men probably wouldn't realize that their behaviors were that bad. Someone else had to recognize that and then call them out on that. And then I got into it and What I actually found was incredibly interesting. The term itself wasn't created until the 80s or 90s. But even for me reading that, it was, it felt like it should be older than that. Like it came out around the time we were born. Mm -hmm. That just seems odd to me. But it was created by a men's movement, by the mythopoetic men's movement. In the 80s and 90s, which essentially means creating a movement that uses activities such as storytelling, poetry as a way of self-understanding. So the way that they tried to support that space was promoting masculine spirituality by doing retreats, drumming circles, anything that was man-only focused in like a, a way of going out into wilderness, let's say, and create a more of a protective warrior type masculinity and steer away from toxic masculinity. So that was their vision when this was initially created was to address it, but focus on the solution rather than the problem. So it was only created as a way to have the other side of the spectrum from what I'm gathering. And so what they say is men's aggression and frustration was the result of a society that feminized boys by denying them the necessary rights and rituals to realize their true selves as a man. I don't know about you, but I resonate with that last sentence hard. So I definitely felt like the way that I was raised by nature, because I was around mostly women, it was definitely a feminized space. And then as I got more into the world, I definitely felt like there was a resistance between how do I act like a man or what does that even mean? And what is the world telling me? And I what they said, and I think that still lines is the, the feminization of boys were not really given the opportunity to embody or even act upon maybe what would be a more manly trait. Mm -hmm. So as I read that definition out, what stands out the most to you?
0: Well, it's just kind of this yin and yang, right? It's like, when I think about that, it's this, it sounds like there's an, a boy or a man or a young adult who's in between two things, trying to prove themselves as a real man, as well as trying to, you know, showcase a little bit, maybe more of those feminine traits, right? What happens is when you're doubling down because you feel so insecure, but am I a man? Am I not a man? And you go way too far on the other side of the spectrum. Then those toxic masculinity traits come up. Um, the, 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 the timing of it was interesting when you said that, you know, 1980s, late night, 90- to me that maybe, maybe there's a little bit more research to be done, but maybe that was when kind of women were starting to come into the picture a lot more. Yeah. Right? So I so so felt attacked.
1: As part of it, it said motivated as part of, as a reaction to second wave feminism
0: see that kind of makes sense to me so it makes sense that you know as women start to get more of a voice men felt maybe more a little bit attacked which then they felt like they really needed to claim their stake and be like well we need to have our masculine traits like supported and we got to kind of like double down because they didn't feel maybe attacked before right it's easy to have dominance when your position is not being attacked right um but then as women start to get the right to vote as women start to like you know get jobs that are outside of the home and start to get back into the society and as things start to open up now maybe men are feeling a little bit more intimidated by what's going on. And then a movement like this happens. Um So that kind of makes sense to me, the, the, the late 80s, late kind of 90s. Um,
1: that was a good point. Yeah, I definitely think that what this represents, what the men tried to do was create that balance of understanding, you know, the spectrum sides, which is healthy versus, you know, let's say toxic, what have you. And then that had to have been brought up by something, like someone had to say something. And I think that's where, If you think about it, it came in the 1980s and 1990s. That was only, what, 20, 30 years ago. And so if that was 30 years ago, we're only 30 years into this concept. And then there's an expectation that we're supposed to have all of the answers. When up until the 1980s and 90s, there was one answer. And it was men were dominant and men were the the top of the hierarchy. So that's 1980 years of the same style of culture over and over and over again. And then now it's interesting to have these conversations because we expect that all to be gone in the 30 years that we've now had this concept or have had
0: the appropriate push for equality everywhere. It's very, very fascinating to me. And then I think it's it's the resistance to that progression that is where the toxic masculinity is kind of birthed from, right? Mm -hmm. It's this resistance to give up what we're trying to, what we've been fighting for for the last 30 years, there's people who are not interested in this progression. They don't want the progression. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's where this, like, you know, I feel like the seeds of toxic masculinity are being um, planted and then unfortunately watered by some, you mm-hmm. know? And then they grow and then they grow. And then now you have people that have movements against things that are progressive. And to me, that's where really the toxic qualities of people come out is when you have a movement against something progressive that to me is kind of toxic, Mm -hmm. you know, but we've talked about like the word itself. I think if you're a man and you've had toxic moments in your life or how it's defined as, you know, toxic moments in your life, I think labeling someone toxic is a very dangerous thing to do. Um, especially if it's not in the, I'm going to go and die on a sort of, if you're labeling someone toxic because they are actively protesting against progressive movements, to me, that is toxic because I can understand that. It's poisonous behavior and you're spreading it. That I can't. So if you're you know, against you know, certain races getting to you know, a, a certain area or a certain trajectory in life or you're against women getting there or you're against minorities getting there um, or you're part of white supremacy or if you're in any of these movements, when I was in Australia, they were voting on, um, on equal um, same-sex marriage. And there was campaigns on TV for vote no. A whole campaign that was 2016. 2016, four years ago, on TV conversations, like full on commercials that were paid for, endorsed, vote no, like a vote no commercial. Like I was stunned. Those are the types of movements that I'm just. It's to me those are the type of movements that could get labeled in my opinion toxic because that behavior is very dangerous mm-hmm. and if you spread that that's very poisonous mm-hmm. um right. if you're an individual who had a moment or you you're going through transitions and you know you're you're a man and you've maybe expressed yourself a couple times before in a very unhealthy way because you've gone too far on the strength side you've gone too far on dominance just painting that person with the brush of oh just absolutely just smacked my mic just painting that person with the brush of toxic um it's not, it doesn't have any kind of future hope for, you know, getting better, you know? And so you kind of have done a great way when you're in our our conversations of explaining how you think it's a different way we should talk about it. What what, what do you think is a better way than just saying you're toxic masculine or you're a toxic person? What are better, what is the better way that?
1: Yeah. I think, I think what you're pointing to is a really powerful point of it's not progressive, right? Mm -hmm. It's very much this, blanket top of the umbrella statement that really just never really addresses the handle. It's like a floating top of the umbrella, just flying around until you station it with a handle, but you have to address what's being held up there and how we even got to that point. So you've probably heard in some previous episodes, but I've mentioned that I don't like the word toxic because of the lack of progression. And because I find that it doesn't promote any opportunity for people to feel like they can change or that it's basically, I would say, if you call somebody toxic, they automatically think that they're a bad person and therefore identify with being a bad person and don't feel like good is an option. It's a very good, bad thing. So the way that I prefer to use the language specifically in the idea of toxic masculinity is the word unhealthy versus healthy. And now I can already hear the counter statements of saying that's not aggressive enough and that that doesn't, document all the bad stuff that men do. And I understand, and I do not agree with a lot of things that are happening in the form of extreme masculinity. So with anything, there's an extremist side, right? That's natural. That's going to happen. That's inevitable. Just like there's a good and a bad. In order to get good, you need to know that the bad exists. So with the space of toxic masculinity, for me, it's uh, the way that I term it is it's a blanket generalization comes with no tangible efforts to support, nor does it open up the door for men to feel like they can change. So if I were to be called a toxic man, I wouldn't feel any empowerment to make change. I wouldn't feel like there is any push or even any opportunity with that person anymore to make change because that person's labeled me. They see me that way. And that's the only way they see me as this poisonous person. So if that's how they see me, the chances of them seeing me in a different light are probably pretty small. And to see that there might be opportunity for you to change is also quite small. So the reason that I shift the language to healthy versus unhealthy is I believe it's less of a concern of, you know, stop being so toxic and it should be more of a concern around where did you learn those unhealthy traits from? What 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 is the root cause of the actions that you are portraying or the root cause of the way that you're speaking or the quote-unquote toxic space? I don't believe that men are bad people, which I think toxic labels them as bad people. I think that the behaviors are bad. So you're not a bad person for doing that. The behavior that you executed on was bad. And so that opens up the door to say, okay, how about we address the behavior and rather less than the person first, and then we can work towards the root causes because behavior is learned, right? Anything that we do, behavior is learned. We don't grow out, come out of the womb and automatically think, oh, I'm a toxic man or I'm a bad man. All of that's learned and conditioned into us, which is why I think if we shift the language from healthy and, uh, or sorry, from toxic to unhealthy, it promotes the concept of potential growth and for people to
0: see that there might be a light at the end of that tunnel. And that's not just who you are for the rest of your life. No, for sure. I think, the unhealthy it's even just if you're in an argument, right? If you're say it's a, an argument between a couple and it's the, you know, the man has done something that could be deemed as toxic masculinity in the relationship. You know, um, if we're going to have that conversation, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about it. Let's talk. Example one, the conversation goes, you're being a very toxic human being right now. That's just going to trigger a lot of defense, like, I'm just going to be defensive, the you know? Well ego will ego is going to come into situation. this conversation. Men are just, you, you give me a, a reaction. I'm just going to go right to the my favorite thing. I'm going to be defensive, and I'm going to get probably show more toxic qualities Most likely. after that point. 100%. You know? Now, just let's erase that visual out of our mind, and now let's go to a, a con- that same conversation. Listen, you're being a very unhealthy person right now, and you're expressing yourself in an unhealthy way, and I don't appreciate it. I can't really get defensive about that statement, right? Like it's, it makes me go like, well, it makes the first thing it does. Is it makes me think, why am I being, why, why am I being this way? Right. Why did I do that? You it, know, it
1: prompts thoughts of actually self-awareness and self-recognition. It There's makes you response. start to think. Yes.
0: Right. And so that's the kind of just the power of not only like the labeling. I think usually when you label something, you're trying to get a different outcome. That's why you're labeling something is so that, you know, yeah. I don't agree with what you're doing. Right. Let's take that example out of the toxic masculinity and let's bring it into race. Now, if someone did something that they didn't they didn't understand at the time was racist, right? But you being black or you being the minority, you see those things clear 2020. Like th- your radar is on for all those things. Someone in front of you has now done something that is like, disc- like discriminated against your people, right? If I come at that person and go, you're a racist, right off tip, what reaction are you going to get? right? Defensive. Defensive. Likely, yeah. If you come at that person, you're like, listen, well, you, you just discriminated against me. That's like, I don't, I don't appreciate the fact that you were discriminating against me. That makes it seem like now what you did was, so it makes me think about what I did, not who I am. Right. And that's that little shift that we're making in that language. Um, and it still doesn't condone the behavior. I think no. that's, that's what I, is lost in the conversation is that we feel
1: that to use such abrasive words like that makes our point more clear. When in reality, it actually blurs the line even more because I take it in, in a blurred way. If you're, if I feel attacked, my mind is blurred and I'm just going to respond with emotion, not with any analytical thinking. But if you come at me with your feelings, I'm probably going to naturally be that empath, which we all are. So we all want to relate or connect in some way. So I'm going to be like, Oh damn, I didn't realize I made you feel that way. Now, sometimes sometimes, you know, in the space of what you just mentioned, there might be that a desire to hurt. But again, like you said, the abrasive context of coming out, be like, you're such a racist. I'm going to get defensive and I'm going to blur my response. And I'm just going to respond with emotion.
0: And you're just going to probably fight all for all the reasons why you're not a racist, right? Right. You're not going to really think about what you did. You're now you're in defense mode. You're defending that reputation. You've like, you've done worked so hard on and all these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how you kind of go at these conversations, I think that like also when we learn these new terms, we like to use them, right? Like if you just recently learned the word toxic masculinity, when you see it, you're just in like trigger mode, like boom, got it, got (laughs) it, got it. it. Like that's just how you people are. Like once you've now you've listened to the Black Lives Matter movement and like whatever. And it's now you're like you just want to label people things. And that period needs to exist for a certain period of time because with labels, you're able to kind of clear up like. If you do call someone a racist, they need to really like address it right on, head on. And sometimes that shock factor is warranted. But if you're a person who's actually wanting pro- like progression, if you're somebody who wants to see change, then how you go about the conversation matters. Absolutely. If you don't want change, then you can go about it by labeling and kind of just like figuring out who's on your team and who's not on your team and keep it moving. But if you want progression, if you want... Certain things to kind of, then how we go about those conversations need to need to be different, I think. Um, and so, I mean, not to harp on that point anymore, I do think that there is, there is a reason why the word came to be, and that needs to be respected, first and foremost. Like, toxic masculinity didn't come out of nowhere. It came off of the back of, like, you know, patriarchy, misogynistic behavior. Um, so it came off of the back of a lot of horrible things right. that we do not condone. But now moving the conversation forward, um, I think that there's a way to kind of address those individuals um, if they're willing to, you know, if they're continuing patterns, I don't believe in either. Like if I've had that conversation, hey, you're unhealthy, you're unhealthy, you're unhealthy, and you just keep going, keep going, it's getting worse, you're getting more aggressive, you're getting more dominant. Um, then you're, you're now you're elevating yourself into a toxic place, you know, because you're not taking the feedback, you're not taking the whatever. Um, but if you're in a small group of people and you're in a circle and you see these kind of behaviors, just be careful about how you label the person if you want to address it for progression. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of just a little shift in language. I think that needs to be there. Um, yeah,
1: and you you touched on a good point. It's about uh, how you label that person, but I think it's more about labeling the behavior. And I think that's where uh, a lot of the the sense is made with how this concept was brought about because it's kind of like when our last episode, we talked about, you know, self care and self love and all these things and how the voice had to be really loud at first, that's kind of this right in the eighties and the nineties. And now in this specific era, the voice is really loud and it's doing its best to get louder and louder to get the point across. And I think it's gotten to its loudest point. And I think where the barrier comes is now where is the word no longer or misplaced Where has the word been taken now in the wrong context? And I think that's kind of where we're at now, which is appropriate because it was super, super loud. So it was a blanket term for every man has toxic traits or even just masculinity as a whole. Some people think is toxic. And so that labeling is where we need to look at it from a more progressive, like we keep saying way and just saying, okay, not all men are like that. And the way that we're actually living now is that I think it's actually practicing the the other way. I think that there are a lot less toxic men in the world now or unhealthy expressions of masculinity. And we're moving towards this beautiful thing. I was reading this article about how president Obama is supporting that movement. He's got courses and classes and curriculum that he's implementing as mandatory in some places to support that to that progression of men. And it starts young. And I think that's where a lot of the misconception comes in with this idea that we are just toxic men from the get-go. That's not unfortunately the reality, like so much comes from the way that we're raised and the way that our, the beliefs that our families have and what support did we have growing up? Which if I'm being honest with you, a lot of us had none, uh, especially in the understanding of who we are as men, we don't know what that means. And so naturally by what we're surrounded with, we attach to whatever we feel is best. If I think about my past and my history with it, I didn't have that idea of going off of, I had toxic masculinity around my space. So I could have fallen into that and been an incredibly unhealthy version of myself for as long as I felt like it. And it was my choice to do otherwise, but that's not something a lot of men come to until maybe not their whole lives. And so the root really comes from addressing it at a younger age and just bringing it maybe to the awareness. And then when we're adults in our like twenties or maybe even high school, I just think there's no support there. I think that's where a lot of the problems lies. There's just no support Mm -hmm. with how we're able to see ourselves or even just the understanding of what that concept means. Like we didn't even know until we started Googling it and really trying to understand it. I just assumed it was a term that has been around forever that just made sense. And then I had to look into it to really know why it came through and how to go about it and what it means to me, which I don't think a lot, uh, a lot of the time it happens.
0: Well, the, the crazy part about toxic masculinity is the way to really solve toxic masculinity is to accept your feminine side, right? Like once you start accepting some of the feminine qualities that we like empathy and compassion and being able to express your feelings, being vulnerable, it takes the pressure off of aggression, dominance, because to get to those qualities, you got to loosen up the reins over here. So really, it's this accepting of if I can just be more vulnerable and be more compassionate and empathetic and start to accept some of these other qualities, it will put the pressure of me having to be so dominant and powerful and it'll take some of the ease off of that. So I feel like it's this kind of once you start accepting the idea that, hey, to be a a real man or to be a true masculine man it's to embody both the yin and the yang, then you start to like not have to lean on so much here, which means that you don't you don't overdo it on the toxic on the masculine side because you've accepted the other half that that's where your balance comes from. You know, I think the people that lack, when you look at, when I look out in the world and I see some of these toxic traits, it's typically the people that haven't really accepted yet to the fact that, Hey, you can show emotion. It's cool. Like you're, you're still in the, you know, uh, boys will be boys. You're still in them. You the man up. Like you're still too committed to that ideology. And that's why you're, it's coming out in a toxic way because as life gets harder and harder, there's things that the things that you're suppressing are getting harder and harder. And so the outpour of that gets uglier and uglier. So when you can start to accept it, accept the fact that, Hey, I can't keep expressing myself through anger and, you know, aggressiveness and dominance and I got to find other quality shift to the other end of the spectrum, being vulnerable, being empathetic, being compassionate, Those are the, those are the ways I think to get really out of the toxic masculine spaces, really start to open up the doors on the other side. And then you'll, hopefully you feel an ease in yourself, you know, and for us, we were so open to that early. Um, And that's kind of, you know, where you're saying that some men never get around that corner. If you've just been in the locker room your whole entire life, it's hard to get around that corner. How Mm -hmm. am I going to get around that corner? Who's going to get me around the corner? I, I grew up in a locker room. I'm still in a locker room and now I'm at an office and I work with a bunch of dudes. Like how am I, how am I going to get around that corner? We were been lucky. We were lucky enough to have people around us that helped us get around that corner faster than we need. We, we like, you know, faster than maybe some people. And now we're here to kind of share that story is, um, if you're in that space, how can you change your environment to help, to start to open up the door to the other side? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think what's beautiful about this space before we move forward is that the
1: the concept of like men supporting men is rising. Like I've never seen before. Uh, I've entered into a lot of men's Facebook groups and men's uh, podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of them now. And that's very, very powerful. A lot of men are supporting other men and opening up and being authentic, you know, and being the truest version of themselves in a very balanced and respectful way. And I think where, and this might, hit differently for some people listening, but I think that where we don't often call like other men toxic. I don't, I don't often look at another man and, and say that he's toxic. It's not really the term that comes to my mind, but I know that oftentimes where we hear it from is from the opposite gender. And so where I think a lot of the, the change will start to begin is when we can have a mutual understanding that we're, we're not, we shouldn't be attacking each other. We should be attacking the problem like in a relationship, right? It's not you against them. It's both of you against whatever problem is happening. And so I think that's where the concept still comes into true here. If I'm representing something that's unhealthy or toxic, it shouldn't be you against me. It should be both of us being willing to go against whatever problem is arising. So whatever challenge that we're facing. And I like the idea of like the yin and yang concept. And it reminds me of a quote I sent you recently, but I'll share it on here. It's, it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in war. So understanding all of the sides of yourself, that you are a powerful human being, that you can go to war if you need to, and that you have those capabilities, but you don't really need to show them all the time, but you can still have them. Having that, that balance of both, but being a gardener doesn't mean that you are over-exemplifying your, your let's say, feminine side doesn't mean that. It just means you have capabilities to show up when you when they need to be and when they're appropriate, right? You don't need to go to war if there's no war, but you have the ability to. So it's better to have that and know that you have that and then be in the in the garden gardening than be the opposite and never really truly know what that is. And so that yin and yang is that balance versus if you had, you know, doubled down on the gardening and war comes, you have no capability of understanding how to handle that war, right? You'd probably end up unfortunately getting killed in the war. Right? So I think it's a, it's a really powerful quote that I think represents a lot for us as men.
0: That's a great quote.
1: So what I find interesting about the concept of calling somebody toxic, is I mentioned in the previous space, that it closes a box And closes the door almost for the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to make changes, to become a better person. So that's why I shifted the language from unhealthy or from toxic to unhealthy. But what I like about this concept in a way, and I know that sounds kind of weird, but Anwar and I, if you know us well in today's, and even for the last couple of years, you recognize that we are nowhere near... This idea of being, you know, what you would consider a toxic man or exuding unhealthy expressions of our, of our manhood and our masculinity. But I know for me looking at my past, that wasn't always the case. And I recognize that there were some things I did in my past that definitely could have been viewed as toxic and that sometimes I view it as, as that way or sorry, unhealthy. So we're going to share a little bit about that. So Anwar, I'll let you start. In the past, growing up, regardless of what age you were or what you were doing, was there any phase or era where you went through expressions of or involvement in
0: maybe toxic or unhealthy versions of masculinity? Yeah, man. I think that in this journey of kind of discovering who you are as a man, there's there's little glimpses and pockets of my history that I, you know, I think, oh. Maybe I was, you know, showing a little bit of toxic masculinity there. But overall, I don't think I was ever really a toxic because I just, I grew up with my sisters and I, you know, I I never really had such an outward expression of trying to like seek that masculinity. But there was times where I was trying to curious about certain things where I would maybe go too far to one line just to see what it was like on that end. Ultimately just come back to who my normal self was or what aligned with me. Um, but that's because I felt like there was this society pressure of trying to make me change what I was feeling inside. And I would, you know, put my foot in that water, not for me, come back. One area though, where I know that I was very toxic in was my struggles with homophobia, figuring that out. Mm. Um, I think homophobia was definitely a a thing that I looked back on and there had to be a shift because I was toxic. I was, I was in that, you know, that's so gay and, you know, don't be a fag. Like I was, I was in those conversations. I was saying those things and that to me is like a forward expression of, you know, you're being toxic in that space there's nowhere else where I can point and go, you were toxic, except for that point. And that was something I had to, and I don't think it would have ever stopped necessarily until there was this one moment. Um, and I think a lot of the reasons why, um, I'm able to kind of be a little bit more in tune with the feminine side is because I grew up in a restaurant for a long time. Um, I started working in a restaurant when I was 15 years old and there's a lot of females in a restaurant. Um, and we could talk about the toxic masculinity traits in restaurants in themselves, but, um, being, you know, one male, working with a lot of women, you know, you have to kind of listen to a lot of women's opinions on things and that kind of nature. Um, and one of my friends, you know, I remember saying something that, you know, it's just a conversation. One of those ones where, you know, you're working and you just, the staff is all talking. And I remember just being my normal self and I'm you know, that's so gay. Something happens and I'm like, that's so gay. And one of my friends someone I respected and loved and, you know, cared a lot for was like, why did you say that? And it was the first time I was confronted with, you know, why did you say that? Mm. Or I was, I was even challenged with what I was saying. And I went, oh, he's just being gay. Like, why is, he being, why is he being like that? And she was like, Anna, do you, know, do you understand what you're saying? And because I respected her and loved her, and that's kind of the important part of this conversation is I let the conversation happen. Because I, I, I really, like, I respected her. I was like, oh, sorry. Like I, I, I was upset that I offended her that was my, where my confusion came into play. You know, I was like, Whoa, sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I was just, and she said, Anwar, my brother is gay. And you know, you saying that just doesn't show very much respect to, you know, gay people or that language is, um, it's very offensive. And it hit me like, Whoa, like that. I can't be doing that. Mm. I can't be saying those things. You know, I can't be, can't be act like, why am I, why, where is that even coming from? Like, why am I even doing that? You know, and I had to kind of face that, that conversation, that internal conversation with myself to kind of unpackage, you know, why, like, why do we say that? Why are we saying that? And it was a hard stop. Like it was Mm. cold Turkey, like, but it was really just because the love and respect I had for that friend and her confidence to come and address me and not a very the first thing she said to me is why did you say that She was trying to get an explanation out of me of why did you say that and then created a, a more a stronger narrative of why you know i shouldn't and then she told me like hey my brother is so you know and that makes me think like what if someone was treating my sister differently saying things about like you know, saying things about my sister you know or my brother and so those are the that was kind of the moment for me where i realized oh man this is a very toxic trait of mine Um, and you have to nip it in the bud. And I've seen such a big change in that world. Like even the people that I used to say that you say it with that's, that's, that's gay and you're a fag and just got deaded like throughout like the, it was crazy how often it was being used and how like little I hear it now in the younger generation, which is such a big improvement. Um, and that was for me definitely one, one moment where I had to kind of, wow, that was, you know, a very toxic version of myself and Mm. something I had to address. Um, but that would be kind of my only, I never really had aggressive traits, so I never really had the dominance or aggression. I never had to use my, my strength to kind of get anything. So I never really resonated with any of those toxic masculine traits, but definitely homophobia was something that I had to kind of face head on and deal with myself. But
1: so working off of your story, then a couple things came up for me, but I want to ask you a question. When you realized that you were saying that word and it was brought to your attention and you mentioned that you had to look at why you were saying that taking it even farther back from that, why do you think you had, or what was the causes of the homophobia that you mentioned? Why was that even present in your life? Why did you feel that way?
0: I think it was just more so just trying to disassociate your, you know, your association to the word, you know? So I think that for a lot of young men at the time, it wasn't necessarily that you were trying to degrade the people that were, you were just trying to dismiss that I am not. So don't, don't say I am it wasn't really, in a, I don't think that the behavior was coming from a place of, you know, trying to degrade the people that are, it was just don't associate, I'm not gay. So I'm just trying to prove that I'm not gay, you mm-hmm. know? So if you like in a men's locker room, if you were to slap somebody on the butt, like just like, you know, good play, it would just be like, someone would look at you and be like, bro, that's so gay. Like, it's like, don't, you know, don't make, sh- make sure you know that I know that we're not gay, you know? So it's almost like we were saying it as a way of kind of just making sure that it was known that you weren't. Not to degrade the other people. like that's not how I was saying it at least. It's like don't do this behavior around me because I'm not gay. It was almost like just like a shield that you would say to protect yourself from anyone who would assume that maybe you were gay. Um, that's kind of why I think I said it. Um, but I was what I wasn't conscious is that like I'm just saying to defend myself, but what I didn't understand that I'm by defending myself, I'm offending somebody else. Mm. And that was kind of the realization I had to realize in that moment is, there's, can you just use a different way to, to explain to someone that you're not gay without having to degrade other people in the process, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I had. So you just have to kind of go back to the drawing board and realize, okay, that person might've done something. You could have just be like, hey, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Don't do that. You don't have to say that's gay. Because that's really what you're trying to say. You're just trying to say that, hey, what you just did just made me feel uncomfortable. Don't do that to me anymore. That's what I'm trying to say. But lack of vocabulary gives you, that's gay. That's what was coming out. So now you just have to learn, you know, new words and learn new ways of expressing how you're feeling without degrading other people in the process. Cause you weren't trying to do that in the first place. So just use better words. Mm.
1: I asked because I definitely had my own experience with the concept of, you know, that's so gay and something that I just came to my mind actually now was that, uh, the concept of no homo, Mm -hmm. remember no homo. I used to to say that I used to say that's so gay and no homo actually came across my space, not from my language, but from somebody else's. And I was taken aback that we were still saying that, but again, what was happening was it wasn't in a degrading way. It was representing, like you said, protecting self from somebody thinking that I'm gay. And so where I had to learn about this, this process for myself, when I was growing up, I said it often and my friend said it often that's okay no homo and you would say you know love you bro no homo things like that right and what's interesting about the space is why we have such a struggle with someone looking at us in that way like why is it such a concern that someone would look at us and be like you're gay because in a way if we're if what i found for me is that if i was protecting myself then that must mean that i'm worried about being Mm -hmm. or being perceived as somebody who was gay. Now, when we were kids, the common language was this. And so I'm not saying it was okay, but it was just what people said. And so we, like you said, you had been made aware of the fact that there was something wrong with that. But I still know adults today in these days where they're still saying that all the time. And I haven't had to confront them about it because con- I don't know why they're still saying it, but it definitely comes from the old use of language. And so now, like you said, saying things like, look, like that was offensive or, hey, you can't, you shouldn't be saying that anymore. Like, why do you think that's okay? But what I know to be true is that if we're putting up a front, then we're not standing tall in our own idea of our own sexuality. So if I'm concerned with someone looking at me and saying, you're gay, if I'm offended by that, then A, I don't really understand my own masculinity and I'm not okay with expressing certain things or things being expressed to me. And B, I feel like that side of the space is less than. So it's a bad thing.
0: That's very well said.
1: And when I look back at where I used to say it, I don't think I ever, like you said, I don't think I ever meant meant it in a way of like, they're less than, but that's always, that's how it comes across. Regardless of how you try to say, oh, it's not how I did it. I hate that I did it. Because I look back now and I'm like, that was so offensive every time I said it. And I was in a way I was very self-righteous, right? I almost had like the sense of privilege in a way, because again, when we were growing up, we were going through the world's battle of equality for people who are gay and same sex marriage and all that stuff. And so we were less accustomed to the information that was being presented or. That people were working through. It was just, if it was in our immediate space, we saw it. And if it wasn't, that was it. And so the lessons weren't there. And now with the mainstream media it is way more abrasive and way more in our face. And so we're very conscious of it now, which I think attends, attests to the idea that the younger generation is not saying it as often anymore. And so, yeah, that's why I asked you that question is because for me, when I used to say it growing up, um, I just knew that I didn't understand what my own sexuality looked like. And if someone, you know, did smack me on the butt, did that make me uncomfortable? Why did it make me uncomfortable? What about that makes me uncomfortable? Is it because I don't want to be perceived as gay or because I don't want to maybe see them as gay and then feel awkward? And I dealt with my own homophobic issues as well. And it was just because of the fact that I didn't understand my own masculinity and my own sexuality. And I was just felt like it was a bad thing to be potentially perceived as that. But if I stand tall, right? If I know I'm hetero, if I know to be true, and I've, I'm, I'm good with that, and I'm happy with that, and I'm not maybe curious about the other side, uh, you know, of, of being gay or wondering what it's like, or if I don't have any problems with it and I've come to terms with all that space, then so what if you do that, right? Like, okay, cool, that's it's my, my butt, whatever, right? But if I wasn't okay with that, I'd be like, whoa, bro, don't touch my butt. I could say things like that's okay, but we don't say that anymore. I'd be like, dude, don't don't touch my butt. And if that ever happened, I would be like, Why? Tell me why. What's the what's the problem, you know?
0: And the reality is is that like the real comeback should have been, you know, when someone said, That's okay. If someone said that to you, the real rebuttal should have been, What's wrong with being gay? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like And that that's how it started to come your... in
1: my space too. It's like, What's wrong with that? And I was like, Oh, I I didn't mean there was anything wrong with that, but now I understand why that or how that's, how that's being perceived that way. I get that. I'm I'm not thinking about anybody else, but myself in that moment, when I say that's okay, or I say no homo, I'm not thinking about anybody else. So I really, really attest that, but I did go through my own, uh, expressions of anger and dominance. I definitely recognize that. And you mentioned you didn't have that, but I never felt like I was trying to be a dominant man. So I think that's where the difference is between, um, aggression maybe, and the dominant side of, unhealthy masculinity is, you know, we were just having this conversation earlier about men being aggressive with each other and how that will often be looked at from the outside world as they're toxic or they're unhealthy, as if we can't have that physical interaction with each other. Now, if we're, you know, arguing, next thing you know, we're throwing punches, that might be a bit more of a concern for sure. Uh, But that doesn't mean we're toxic men. That just means that we're struggling emotionally that's kind of where that root comes from. And we don't really know how to express it other than in fighting, but if we're just, you know, bantering or having a good time with each other, I think that's where a lot of the, and you can attest to this, the idea that men, uh, don't know how to support each other because we banter in that way. We just, we just recorded a hilarious TikTok, and this guy was on the video game and he was, he said, would you guys be there for me if I was going through a hard time and all you hear in the background is no. (laughs) <laughs> and it was a laughing concept, but not because it, we see it as rude. We don't see, we know that they're all friends. And so when they're saying that they're just, they're having healthy banter where if somebody random comes up to me and says, would you be there for me? I wouldn't say no. Like if a man came to me and said, Hey, I'm going through a tough time. Are you there for me? I would say yes. Cause I, I don't have that relationship with you. where I feel like we can banter back and forth yet, but I'm always there for you. And even when i say no i'm always there for you so that doesn't mean that we're toxic but my aggression came through when i didn't know how to express my emotions so as i mentioned in previous episodes i would punch walls or i would self-inflict pain that was kind of where my my struggle went but that was because of a deeper rooted issue wasn't because i was a toxic human being and that's what i think i'm trying to attest to with this idea of toxic versus unhealthy is there's a deeper reason why i'm doing that or why some people are doing that it's not just because the society tells you it's. A lot of it has to do with what was their upbringing like, who raised them, how did they raise them, what did they learn? Those are the purest forms of where it really stems from, is what happened when they were born. Because they weren't, they weren't born with it, they had to be conditioned to understand it.
0: So was there a shift for you then, when you realized that your, your traits were, because there is an awareness that comes with men, right? So there's, there's this chapter, or there's this episode, or something happens to a man where they realize like I lost something in porn, maybe it's someone you liked, you know, you had a good relationship with and she had to leave in order for you to learn the lesson of your behavior is not something I can deal with. Was there a moment for you where you realized these qualities, these traits that I'm showing and I'm expressing, there's a deeper rooted meaning because I'm struggling with some emotion, Um, or were you like, in my example, you were confronted with something on the outside and someone was like, Hey, what are you doing? And you were like, Oh, this is my moment. This is my learning lesson. Mm. Was there a defined moment or you just kind of figure it out over time?
1: I definitely think it was something that I had to learn over time, but looking back on my experiences with both situations, the, the homophobic one definitely died out. Like that was cutthroat. Like that, that was, we were doing it and then we just weren't. There was, I don't feel like there was a phase there, um, but with the aggression stuff, I know in the moment I learned from each moment where I recognize, like, why did you, what did you just do that for? What was the point of that? Right. I would hit a table in front of me because I was angry or, or pissed off. And then it would almost be instantaneous because I realized that what I had just expressed was danger. And I don't want to express danger. But right now I don't know what the hell is going on in my emotional with my emotions. And so I need to do I need to do something. And so that's what I would do. But every moment I recognized that 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 I was creating an unsafe space. And I never wanted to ever do that because that's how I was raised was the unsafe space. So I never wanted to do that. So that's what I recorded a YouTube about. Are we actually breaking the cycle or are we just talking about breaking the cycle? And for me, my whole life, I just talked about how I would be different, how I would be a healthier version of the the fathers that I experienced. I would be better than them. I would not act like them. But then this right circumstance comes through, and unbeknownst to me, there it is. All of the things I thought I wasn't, I I currently am. I'm embodying right now. And it took me a really long time to understand. How am I breaking that cycle? Like, what am I actively doing? And I wasn't trying to learn about it. I wasn't trying to educate myself about it. I felt like I was educated on what it looked like. And so I just felt like, okay, just do the opposite. That's what I felt. Just don't do that. Do this instead. And that didn't work. That failed because I still did it. So what I had to learn over the course of my adult years was if you're going to make the change, then don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. So put yourself in situations that are maybe going to provoke that and learn how to react or find little smaller moments with less, you know, abrasive emotional things. More importantly, learn how to express your emotions. You know, that's the cause. Learn how to do it. Get more in touch with yourself. Find out how to connect with yourself on a deeper level, whether that's through spirituality or reading books on emotional intelligence or taking a course, whatever it is, go find some level of education that will allow you to understand that I'm actively breaking the cycle. Cause it's not a one once act and you're done. It's not a thought that just happens and it's there. It has to be acted on. it's like the idea of knowledge. Knowledge is useless without practice. If you never put it into practice, how did you learn it? Did you learn it? Do you remember it? How many books I've read? I don't remember half of what I read. No idea because none of it went into practice. So it's the same concept talking about breaking the cycle is the start. Because you're recognizing a toxic or unhealthy behavior that you don't want to repeat. Now, what are you actively doing about that throughout the course of your life? Because in 20 years, I could be presented with another opportunity to be exactly like they were, exactly like my father's were. And I could do that again in 20 years if I don't proactively do the work now to be better. So I would say the biggest thing that changed, that shift that I recognized where I was doing something different was uh, I was alone. I mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts. I was alone for the first time like really felt like I was really alone. It was when I moved downtown in Calgary. And that was that moment I felt like that was my un unsolicited ritual of go into the forest and do your thing. That's kind of how I felt that moment was, you know. Go into the forest, come back in a month. And if you're still alive, you're a, you're a man or what have you kind of that concept, uh, ritualistic traditionals. That's how I felt that that was. So that was, I think the biggest pinnacle moment where I realized, oh, okay. Like you're not doing what you said you were. What do you want to do now? You know, heartbreak is a hell of a teacher for sure. Right. So I think that's where I really started to come through for me. But those were just, you know, a couple of the unhealthy traits of masculinity that we had growing up. You know, there's definitely a lot more that comes in that space. But we just kind of wanted to touch on our experiences because those are the most prominent ones. Those are the ones we really went through and had to learn from. And we obviously just the purpose of our sharing our stories is to bring about a sense of self-reflection for all of the men listening out there is, you know, whatever you're doing right now rather than seeing yourself as a toxic human being, ask yourself, you know, why am I acting this way and where is it coming from and what is my main motivator?
0: Right. Yeah. And kind of what's that, like, where does that confidence come from for you? You know, if you're, if your confidence is really caught up in aggressive behavior and dominant behavior, it it could lead you down a path of being toxic or being seen as toxic. You know, Uh, I think confidence is very important in life. I think that finding confidence in who you are as a human being could lead you to great things. I think that it's very dangerous sometimes if all your confidence comes from a place where you depend on being dominant, you know, because all it takes is someone more dominant to you to show up and now your confidence is shattered, Mm -hmm. you know, or if you hide a lot of dominance and strength, well, once your strength maybe gets diminished or um, you may not feel as strong in a certain situation, then your confidence also goes with it. So, you know, protect your confidence by having different, different sides of you um, a lot more balanced as a man. Uh, and if you think that right now, you know, I think that sometimes working in a restaurant, we've seen this all the time, right? Dudes will come in and their behavior matches, you know, who they think they are. You know, they're, they're, there's no consequence to my behavior because I am wealthy or I am, you know, strong and who's going to mess with me in here, you know? So it's like sometimes we hide behind these shields and then that's where our toxic masculinity pours out, you know? Um, but when when you come to the point, it's like, Hey, what you said was, I don't care how much money you have. That's just offensive, you know, or I don't care how strong you are. That's just not, that's just not a vibe to be moving like that. You know what I mean? Um, those are some like deep, rooted questions you got to ask yourself, you know, for real, for real. Like, am I, am I acting this way? Because I feel like there's no consequences to my behavior. Am I acting this way because I'm protecting my confidence? My confidence comes from these places. What do I got to do to kind of change that story a little bit? How can I be um, more confident who I am as a man without some of these, you know, sometimes seen as toxic traits of ours.
1: Absolutely. And it, it, I like what you said there just to briefly attach to it is a lot of the times when those situations come about, we, or the men that are acting that way and putting up those shields, it's because they don't feel like there's any other way to get what they want. So in order to get what they want, they'll become aggressive or dominant or just not care because that protects them because they don't have this deeper connection with themselves. They're not safe in their own body. They're not safe in their own mind. And so when you're not safe in your own mind, you just act on whatever accord is happening around you. And oftentimes we throw temper tantrums to get what we want, whether it's a child temper tantrum or an adult temper tantrum, we still throw them and it's okay that we do, but it's just about recognizing why am I having a temper tantrum right? Why am I acting in this way? And what am I trying to get from the situation? And is there a better way to go about this? Right. And to recognize you don't always get what you want and that's okay. Right. That's perfectly okay. You don't need to fight your way to get that. You don't need to dominate your way to get that. You know, there's much better ways. And so we wanted to prompt that conversation, like Anwar said, just to bring that self-awareness of what's the motivating thing. And you know, why, why are you feeling the need to express in that way? And it's difficult because a lot of times guys don't see that they're doing that, which is I think is the really hard part because they're blinded by their desire to get and to get and to achieve and to succeed. And that there's a there's just big blinders on. And unfortunately, society painted a picture that the only way to get there was by dominating and by being a shark and by being aggressive and, you know, any equal to the world, you're better and other people are less than. So uh, we hope to start that conversation to work towards a healthier version of what that looks like. So to wrap up that whole concept, we'll share with you a couple things that we found about how to express masculinity in a healthy way and not adhere to the male stereotypes that are out there. So an example would be avoid seeking help. I know I've experienced that before. Obviously the, the contrary to that is just ask for help when you feel it's needed and not waiting too long. I think that's where the male stereotype comes in. of I don't ask for directions. I don't go to the doctor and I'll be honest with you. I'm the not go to the doctor guy.
0: Ditto. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I I, 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 only go if I feel like there's a huge detriment to my health, but I feel like I maintain my health well enough. That's why I don't go. If I wasn't taking care of myself and I was having health problems, I'd probably go to the doctor. I'll be honest with you. Cause I don't want to be on, I don't want to feel that way. But I think that the stereotype is you just don't go. Cause you just haven't figured out. You just fight your way through it. Right. Right. And this, the, the seeking help part two also comes with emotional support. You know, it's psych- bigger one, the I bigger think. one, psychologists and, and therapists. I have not gone to one in my life. But
0: friends too, man. Yeah. I mean, some of us, some of us have a support system around. We're just not willing to express ourselves to them. Exactly. You know, some of us, you'd be shocked at what, you know, calling your best friend and being like, Hey, I'm just going through it. Like, I just want to say, sometimes you're not even going through it. Just talk your decision through. You have a fight with your girlfriend, you're like, hey, listen, I don't want the man answer to this. Like, what do you think I should do for real? You know, like, how do I, how should I handle the situation? And then that person typically will have their answer for you. But if you come at them with the bro bro stuff, they're going to give you a bro bro answer and you don't get any further than right. that. You know, so use your own environment. And, you know, like my best friends have taught me so much about life. You know, it's just, but we've gotten real with each other. We've gotten candid with each other. We've, we haven't, you know, had hidden agendas um, about trying to uphold this, you know, whatever facade of masculinity you need or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. But yeah, definitely seek out help in those professional services, but turn around to your corners and see what's there.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot more in your space than you, I think, give credit for, for sure. I know I felt that way in the past. Another one to add in is uh, restricting emotions to what are considered acceptable ones for men. So, uh, they have on here, anger, happiness, jealousy, and lust that those are the ones that are acceptable. Although we obviously combat the anger one, which I find is interesting. So to not go with the male stereotypes, it's expressing a wide range of emotions like sadness, like fear, like kindness, like tenderness. I think those are actually really good examples of things that we don't express often. If we are feeling, you know, that we're toxic man or unhealthy man is we don't express those because those represent weakness and lack of strength and, lack of courage and lack of confidence when reality, that's just, you know, authenticity. We all are human human beings with all of the human emotions.
0: Yeah. And you were saying, you, in a conversation we had before, you were saying, where do we go? If we can't, we, we're not allowed to express it. Sad. We're not allowed to express it. This, like, right. you know, you were saying like, where do we go? And the only areas where sometimes you get shoved into is, well, okay, in some regard, we're allowed to do it in an aggressive way because as a man, I'm tough and that aligns, so right. I'm going to use that channel. We're supposed to align with that stereotype, yeah. And so it's like our, ex- our expression has kind of like been diminished uh, or we feel like it's diminished and we're here to tell you that it's, you don't need, you could do it sad mm-hmm. if, that's the, if that's what feels the most right. You could do it a different way.
1: Absolutely. We all have these emotions, like every single one of us, but I think as men, we find that the problem with all of them is we just don't know which one's, We're quote unquote allowed to have, but I think having that conversation with ourselves of feeling like we don't know which ones to have, I think that conversation needs to stop. And it's just about, I have all of these and that's okay.
0: Rather than feeling like we're being belittled for all of these other emotions. And if you found success, the other thing too, is as men, we just are like, we just want success so bad, right? We're just seeking success. If you' found success living life the way you want you're probably thinking, why would I ever like uh, like you know absorb any other style like this is working for me this this these qualities are working for me. You never know when you're gonna need those other qualities I'm telling you you might as well start developing those skill sets because it's that's why we struggle to make these big jumps into different chapters of our life because if now you're in a you know a relationship and you're in you're having kids and stuff, maybe you're not maybe you're not ready for that chapter of your life because you have been successful doing these things. Right. And now those qualities, those aren't transferable skills. <laughs> those skills don't transfer they don't. And then now we're, now we're like our life doesn't make sense because we used all these skills to get to this point. And now I'm in a different chapter in my life and those skills don't translate. They don't go over. So there's no harm in learning more about those other sides, especially if that's what you want in the future. You know, if that's what you're, you know, hoping to, if you want more reach or if you want to just like be more relatable to more people. Um, Absolutely.
1: And those alarm bells are going off so everyone can listen up cause he was spinning some fire there. So that was, that was to bring attention to woo! <laughs> speaking facts. Uh, the last one I want to mention on here is pressure other men to behave in a stereotypically masculine way. I find that that is definitely something that happens a lot. We feel pressured in certain situations to act a specific way and to expect others to do the same because that's just what you do as a man. And I think, it's always going to be difficult to go against the tribe. And it always has been standing out amongst the tribe is difficult because you feel alone. You feel like you're the only one who's doing it. Uh, well there's 7 billion people in this world. So I can guarantee you you're not. And that there will be other men to support you in that space. And the opposite side of that is, you know, feeling comfortable in emotionally nurturing roles and holding other men accountable. I think is a huge component of this concept is if you don't feel like something is okay, then it's drastically important for you to speak on that. Um, a quote that I not even really a quote, but it's, it's no longer good enough to be a good man and be silent about it. You can't just go through life living, being a good man because that doesn't support the movement of every man being a good man. So if you come across a space where someone is expressing something in a toxic way, it becomes your responsibility to speak up about it and to say something. And to brief example of it, I was, I don't know if I mentioned this already in one of the episodes, but I was driving Uber one time, went up to a McDonald's and this lady was inside trying to organize things. We weren't allowed in. And she brought stuff to the front door. It was like seven guys waiting out the front door. She brought food to the front door, started handing them out. Mine wasn't ready. This other guy wasn't ready. And then this other gentleman who was waiting to get his order, she, it kind of came off like she ignored him, but I just don't think she saw him. And she shut the door and went to go do her thing back inside. And he yelled and exclaimed out loud, bitch. And I remember standing there thinking to myself, whoa, that did not just happen. What the hell is going on around me? All these guys are, you know, calling this girl with this name. When uh, from my standpoint, she's just doing her job. And she's not purposely trying to be rude or neglect you. She wasn't the nicest human being, I'll be honest with you, but she wasn't doing anything purposefully. And I just remember standing there and thinking to myself that, first of all, that did not just happen. And B, what do I do? I didn't know what to do because I knew I would never say that, but I left that situation saying nothing. And I remember driving away thinking to myself, why did you say nothing? And it was because I was scared of his reaction and I was scared of what he might say back. There was a fear of conflict there for a second. But looking back on that, I recognize if I ever came across that situation again, I would 100% speak up because I'm not comfortable with it. So if I'm not comfortable with it and if I stand for something, that's a healthy version of something or a respectful version of something, then it becomes my responsibility to also speak up in those moments and just let them know that like, it's not okay to say that you can't say that you shouldn't be saying that, And um, you know, be respectful. And if he never changes, that's fine. But I planted a seed, right? If we believe in something, it's important to stand up for what we believe in, in all those moments. So I think we could talk about this concept for
0: many episodes and we do plan on it. Right? We do. I think that the story that you were saying there at the end, I think that that story is a bigger conversation hundred percent right that that conflict that we're talking about where we're seeing that in the black lives matter black lives matter movement as well is we're seeing this idea of just not being a racist isn't good enough anymore exactly you've got to speak up right so we're starting to see these movements kind of come to a head where the good people are trying to have to now confront but we've needed like a you know a, a long enough like confidence or you know information or whatever the thing was that you needed to be strong in that moment to be able to say hey like she, she maybe didn't see you. Like you didn't need to call her a bitch or, hey, that was racist or that was you. Were, you discriminated against that person. You shouldn't have done that. People need the kind of confidence and they, to get confidence. Sometimes you need to feel support. You mm-hmm. know, you need to feel that hey, someone's got your back in that moment. You know that if you were going to say that, thing, you're going to step into that. That people have your back in that. You know. Um,
1: and it's it's the right. I think it's just m-
0: about the right thing to do as well. Right, like just just staying silent,
1: like you said, is just it just doesn't serve. And it doesn't serve you because you know, you want to speak up. There's something inside of you that doesn't feel comfortable. And so you want to speak up and say something, but uh, we're not taught how to deal with that conflict. We have to learn by practice. And I think that's the scariest part. But like I said, if I could go back and and do it all over again, I absolutely would speak up uh, because I know how important that is. And like you said, it's not uh, no longer enough just to be uh, a good man. And it's not even like going at him in an attacking way. It's just holding people accountable for their actions. Which I think is something that just seems to be misunderstood these days, but it's just holding the people accountable for their actions. And if it is spreading poison or causing harm or disrespect or inequality, then holding them accountable for their actions by speaking up is the right way to go. So, to finish up this episode, as always, we have a PQ for you. We know we could talk about masculinity for our toxic masculinity forever. Next week's episode, we're going to be talking about something you're also waiting for, but I'll leave you with a PQ as a little, a uh, little intriguing moment during the last 11 months of quarantine and lockdown, whether you've been single or you've been in a relationship, it's been 11 months now, has your perspective on relationships or dating changed? And if anything has, what
0: about it has changed? Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. If you haven't yet, please download, subscribe, leave a review. But most importantly, if you took any value out of this episode or you enjoyed this episode, please post and share with your close family and friends. You can follow us at our online IG account, which is at Modern Masculinity. Make
1: sure the C is a K. Remember, we're trying to represent the mask that men wear. So at Modern Mask, Masculinity Podcast. You can also follow us on our private socials. Mine is at Coach
0: Kyle Rushton. And mine is Anwar Ahmed 4. And uh, any kind of post share that you do helps us kind of build this community one listener at a time. So we appreciate um, all your efforts. And remember, we're here with you. We are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. Until next time, peace.